You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a platform we've created to bring the Nordic tech community together. My name is Charlotte Roberts and I'm your host. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. And there we go. Now we are live. So, um, yeah, before we go ahead and get started, um, I just want to um, say thank you to everyone for joining us today. Um, So we're going to be discussing strategies for driving transformational change. Um, so I'm Charlotte, so I'm part of Evolution's Nordic team of recruitment consultants. Um, so I've been at Evolution now for just over two years, um, and I specialise in recruiting data freelancers uh, within within the Nordics, um, and I lead the, the data and infrastructure team here. Um, so I'm passionate about building lasting relationships with my clients and with my candidates, and seeing teams thrive by connecting the right people. Um, but enough about me, and I want to <laughs> introduce the rest of our um, contributors today. So if AC, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that would be great. Thank you, Charlotte, and thank you for hosting us today. So uh, I'm Anna Carolina, and uh, um, yeah, as you heard, short AC, um, you will probably hear that a lot today. Uh, I work at IKEA. Uh, with uh, data and analytics, but uh, my, I come from a background within uh, fashion and uh, also beauty products before stepping into the home furnishing retail business. So uh, I have a lot of uh, passions both for my work, so it's uh, my work is my passion, but also uh, I do love learning. And currently I'm all into the, the kind of biohacking uh, dimension and also hacking performance overall. So how do you become the best version of yourself? Nice. Love that. Thank you very much for that introduction, AC. And Partha, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that'd be lovely. Yep, sure. Uh, I think uh, probably you'll pick up the thread from Anna as well on the passion part. Uh, so anyway, I'm Partha. I'm part of Ericsson. Uh, I'm heading the automation and AI transformation team, a global team. Uh, one of my primary responsibilities is to work with the leadership team to understand uh, how uh, exponential technologies such as AI, automation, and blockchain can help the business uh, with their priorities. So that's what we do. And in terms of passion, uh, you know, uh, as Anna said, I'm also a, a curious learner. Uh, so this year, I recently learned about building a second brain. Uh, how can we organize the digital information to be more accessible and, you know, store and, you know, retrieve it as and when you need it, both work and personal life. So that is something uh, that really caught my attention. So I'm trying to build it as a habit. Uh, it is very difficult to uh, move away from, like, you know, how we have learned to categorize information from school days, uh, where, where you do it by subject. But now uh, you have to completely rethink. So that's something I am I'm trying to... Uh, um, you know, and do as part of my 
yeah, bashing us back. Wow, love that. Thank you very much, Pa, for that introduction. And so, Jal, and last but certainly not least, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Not sure. Uh, hi, I'm Sajal. I work at uh, Volvo Cars and um, I work as a project manager over there and uh, like Partha drives it with the main business, I drive it for the markets. So all the markets which are there in the EMEA, I'm an advocate for them for any product development, for any digital transformation based on the local requirements or any changes which are there in the central strategy or the central product development with respect to the digital online sales area. So this is something of a very new area in the automotive world, a very challenging area. So that drives us, that is what drives me to work more into this because getting into, uh, you know, uh, getting, working into a area where everything looks difficult and hazy, uh, an automotive to an online journey is something which drives me towards it more. So I have been into a lot of process consulting projects and everything. So this is something which is really challenging and that is where my passion lies actually. Something to do which is new, which is, uh, and on a personal front, I think everything is about, for me, is about traveling new places, off-road places, not the main cities. It just, so that is something I enjoy on a personal front as well. Nice, lovely. Thank you very much everybody for your introductions. Um, before we get into sort of the questions that have been submitted from the panellists, uh, we'll start off by uh, just going around and asking, um, so what is transformation versus incremental change? Um, so if if AC, if you'd like to start us off, that'd be lovely. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I think this is such an important question to also bring up now in the beginning of the discussion because it, it does require quite a different strategy to, to lead. So for me, transformation is really going from one state and changing into a different state with uh, a set time frame. Incremental change is then something that you continuously should be leading in an organization, but you really need to both lead change and manage change when you are in a transformation. Um, so, so of course, it, it also requires a bit of a different strategy when, when you actually have to make, make this massive movement from one state to another. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something to really think about. But for a lot of cases, I feel that many incremental changes lead to an actual transformation change. So that is a journey we have to start, depending on the industry and the type of product, of course. But it's a journey of many incremental changes, like we call it process improvement. So a new innovation necessarily not be a new thing. It can be an improvement in the current thing. So that is something which we can take off. But uh, uh, do you have like any examples in IKEA or somewhere where you see uh, how the incremental changes have led to a complete transformation or something like that? Well, I, I think that that is kind of part of the, the differentiation, you know, that when you transform, you actually need to make this bigger step. And I think a lot of organizations today, just like IKEA, we have a need to transform into an organization that incrementally changes over time so that you can continuously then actually evolve together with technology. And, you know, this uh, massive shift we are standing in front of, especially with AI coming in, uh, I think that this is then something where you need this business agility in your organization. So when you're not set up to be agile, when you're not set up to transform continuously, you first need to start with shifting into an organization that can evolve over time. 
And I think that that's kind of the the big transformational aspect when I, well, at least when I talk about the the transformation. But uh, it's a very interesting point, Anna, uh, because uh, I feel that when we talk about incremental change, most of the time, uh, you know, we we take some projects or programs which is addressing a very specific problem or trying to automate or or simplify what we do today. Mm. But for me, transformation is uh, completely taking a radically different approach. Mm. Uh, it's not Taylorism. It's not something that you uh, you know try to split an activity and try to see how you apply uh, technology, but rather uh, completely revisiting the structural lever. How can we like, do things completely different? Uh, but it has to be anchored on a very clear purpose. Uh, that purpose could be like you know either uh, to improve the customer experience or to change the business model, Sajal, as you pointed out, going from offline to online, uh, from a standpoint, uh, that is a big transformational change. And and that is uh, slightly different compared to any of the projects or programs uh, uh, that we drive, I think, uh, in my view. Yeah, that is, that is so important, especially with the desire to change, like a clear vision. This is what we want to achieve. And it's not like just to restructure something uh, because we have a problem but more creating a desirable end target for people to get engaged. I think that that is such an important aspect as well of the transformation as such, because people need to have the desire to change, really commit to it. Because when we talk about transformation and change overall, it's really, it is a people movement that we want to create. We want to get people excited and want to be part of this new journey that we're on. Ron, yeah, I think that's a, Good way to put it. And I really find it interesting because now when I'm thinking about transformation, I feel like the whole process changing it. And when I think about incremental change, it's like every team can do an incremental change in their own processes. So it's more of a process improvement. And yeah, that's one one way to look at it. Quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. And talking about processes, I mean, that is also so important that when you then go in and transform a company to be able to be more agile and, and then drive a transformational change. It's also how do you design the processes to cater for innovation, to cater for, you know, failure and and uh, shifting how you do business, how you think about problem solving. I think that is also super important in a transformation. Uh, if you really want to change into a state where you have that business agility and solving problems in new ways. Hmm. And also, if you think about uh, traditionally how industries have been structured, there's always a functional silo in terms of how the units interact with each other within the company and outside the company as well. Uh, but now uh, with the changing business models, I feel that uh, you know uh, there's a need for more an end-to-end -end view, uh, pinning on the exact customer need. Uh, that, that I think will probably give us the uh, factor 10 effect of improvement uh, for us to uh, kind of really see what the transformation change would mean to an organization or to an ecosystem. So that, that's another uh, uh, dimension as well when we talk about uh, incremental versus transformation. Mm, nice. That's a very good point. So I think um, it leads quite nicely on to um, sort of AC's, your first question. Um, so how do you start a transformation and what would be the three most important steps? Um, so yeah, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this question and then I'll open it up for the group to discuss. Yeah, for, for me, it's uh, I'm I'm a bit curious to to the the Volvo and uh, and Ericsson journey of of driving transformational change, 
um, you know, what is kind of the key success factors in, in the ones that you've been into uh, in your organizations? And maybe I should start with also answering it uh, in myself. I've been part of quite a few transformations so far in the different companies that I worked in. And I think this clear vision of end state is extremely important um, so that you can really see where you're heading because we're also used to a world of, you know, um, leading in the unknown, et cetera. But the transformation is in a sense, you know, we're, we know where we want to go. We know our end state. Um, so, so having that clear vision where people can then start getting engaged into it. I think that is a, a, a key thing to, to have that clear vision. Um, but also, um, clarifying that it's not just that we're changing into this. It's why, what is the purpose and what is our purpose? How do we keep our purpose as a company alive in this? Um, and I think that then kind of the purpose-driven perspective of delivering value through a transformation. So we're doing this, as you said, Partha, around, you know, customer value, but also co co-worker value. So it's not just getting a better customer experience. It's also how do we actually ensure that our coworkers have a better everyday life in, in the work environment? How do we change so that you work smarter, not harder aspects? So, uh, so how do you, what's your experience, Partha? Um, I think uh, you, you kind of laid some of the key aspects about having a target state of the vision, uh, Anna. I think, uh, you know, it is uh, maybe like an overstated comment, but I think it is super important uh, to have a very clear strategy and a vision and a purpose that are fully aligned. Uh, most of the time, uh, one or the other uh, it kind of uh, is uh, very loosely coupled with the, with the rest, right? So, uh, and, and also like trying to really understand what is the digital agenda uh, that will enable the strategy. So the strategy, as you said, could be uh, pinged on the employee experience, or it could be the customer experience, uh, uh, or it could be like uh, an end-to-end -end view uh, of of the cost, uh, instead of taking the functional cost view. Uh, and 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 most important is that uh, you know we are, we are able to create a portfolio of initiatives that reinforces the strategy. Uh, if you just take one or two. Uh, maybe it will not hit the critical mass for us to drive the change. Uh, so I think the, the the most important aspect is to have a portfolio of initiatives that is clearly aligned with the strategy, vision, and the purpose. Uh, uh, that that I think uh, is uh, number one criteria for me as well. Uh, and then the second aspect, uh, again, top-down commitment. We always uh, talk about leadership commitment, but when we talk about top-down, uh, I think it is super important to recognize that uh, you know we need the AD mandate to make the change stick, uh, but most of the work gets done at the middle management level, right? So that's where I think we need to have a leadership aligned team that is fully aligned and, uh, and making sure that there's a technology agenda and also business agenda that work hand in hand. I'm sorry about this automatic lights. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, and then the third aspect, uh, uh, to, to govern all these, uh, you need to have a governance uh, that works uh, more agile. Uh, again, when I say agile, I'm not talking about any product development. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the whole organization. Uh, like what is it that we want to change? Uh, how do we do? How do we make? What kind of decisions uh, are we making? Uh, is it at the right level at the right time and the right level of the organization? And then three, how do we like surface the big issues faster? So we need we need something that would really make things more. Uh, I think these three things, uh, if we can nail, uh, probably it will solve uh, the rest of the problems. Uh, by you, Partha, you've covered like more or less anything which can be there under this. Um, umbrella, 
But uh, nevertheless, I think these are very good points. And one thing which I have personally experienced, I would just like to share that when we are talking about from a top business level, and we as we grow down the as we go go down the tree and the branches, we see that all the leaders are responsible for the change. And for this to happen, the OKRs, which is defined at the top level, has to be linked with the OKRs of each and every team. So it should be visible to everyone. There should be devils in which you have to portray that what you are doing is leading to the change, which is the vision of the top management. So that is a very important aspect because investing just money into a digital transformation is not going to achieve everything. What are you going to do in every PI if you're following a PI? Or, and what you are going to do, what will be the action items? And everything, every action item, every end result linked to the target which we are going to achieve at the top level, be it engagement with the uh, the end customer, be it uh, reducing the cost in the long run, uh, being uh, changing your company strategy, like suppose so although it is going to be fifty uh, percent electric till twenty twenty five, so I'm fifty percent on online till twenty twenty five. So whatever is the strategy, you have to follow it. Every department, every mid-level management uh, manager has to follow it to the top level and make it accountable in front of the everyone so that everyone gets motivated in order to follow that st strategy and objective at the end. So I think for me, top to bottom, uh, uh, top management management approach is very useful when we see something in the area of digital transformations. And that is what drives it to the utmost uh, effectiveness, I would say. When when I come to the think of it, uh, uh, Sajal, I think uh, one one aspect that also occurred to me is like the communicating the vision. Most of the times, uh, by under communicating uh, you know, what the change is about, we're not getting the commitment from the rest of the organization. So that's another aspect as well. I think uh, is super important. And uh, if you cannot explain a vision in less than five minutes uh, and get the interest and attention from the people. Uh, that which means that it is going to be a very difficult journey to drive the change as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're onto something there in terms of like who is responsible for leading the change hmm. because everyone in the company needs to be. So it needs to be anchored, as Sajal said, in the, you know, in the the goal setting in throughout the organization. So everyone is committed to the change and really having it as both a grassroots movement as well as a top down dimension, kind of leaving some of the freedom to how do we actually do the change into the, the lower level of the organization, but ensuring that we have the aligned autonomy towards one goal. That's true. And this communication about the change management is a lot of work, like the demos for the internal team. It just looks like demo, but sometimes the team comes to know, okay, I am developing something which is already there with some other team. So maybe I can just reuse and it's a very common problem. And why it is a common problem? Because there is a lack of communication between them. And then what are the, whatever are the changes happening? So, I mean, I'm dropping on, maybe stepping on some other questions uh, of the agenda, but uh, the change management communication is very important because when we think from a global and a regional level where we actually want to drive that change, if it is not communicated, then the regional markets might be doing some personal developments on a local level. Again, wasting money. In the end, it is wasting money to the whole organization. So that is something, a chain management communication is something a very integral part of any transformation journey. 
And now we can move on. Uh, I think we covered this a little bit, but at least we can go into a little bit more detail um, with Sajal's uh, question as well. So where do you start the digital transformation journey in an established organisation? So if uh, Sajal, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this question, and then I'll let everybody start jumping from there. Yeah, I think I wanted to put this question because I really wanted to know thoughts about all of you who are from various domains, which is not automotive. And uh, it's very interesting to know because how we see as a difficult, if it is a very old company, if the product is not a commodity product or a online available, something very easy, then how do you suggest that, you know, we have to go to an online model? What, what are the various factors you have in mind uh, regarding a switch change, an incremental change? So I wanted to know more of your thoughts because we face a lot of difficulties, not just with respect to the tech we have in hand, but with respect to the mindset of the end users and the regional users. So some, if something is decided on a central level, if we have to come, if you have to make that change across the whole of Europe or US or APAC, then what do you think is the approach we should take for a product which is like a car, not a cheap one, but an expensive one? So I wanted to actually learn more about your thought process in your industries as well. That's something which I had had in mind. Perfect. You go ahead first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Sajil, uh, there are two dimensions to your question. Uh, one, uh, we're talking about uh, changing business model, going from an offline model to an online model. Uh, then I am kind of relating it to more about uh, a conglomerate going towards an ecosystem model, right? Uh, a, a traditional established industry. Now, now you, you also made a comment that automotive industry, right? Yeah. Uh, to my yeah. earlier comment about the, how the industries are structured, uh, it's quite, uh, you know, uh, it hasn't changed much in the last thousand years, at least, right? Uh, you have like very traditional uh, way of looking at industries. Uh, but now with all these disruptors, uh, be it technology disruptors or uh, uh, or even the adoption, the, the customer preferences. Uh, so the, the landscape is shifting. We are moving away from traditional industries to a completely different kind of engagement and ecosystems. Uh, so there, I think, uh, even from a Volvo standpoint, uh, my, my interpretation is that we are moving. We are making that shift towards the ecosystem model, right? Uh, where yeah. the, the the fundamentals of value creation is is kind of changing uh, from uh, a traditional setup, uh, a vertically integrated setup, to more like you know how do we work with interconnected digital and physical businesses? How can we like you know work with customers uh, uh, in a in a completely different way, right? So that's where uh, I feel that uh, uh, you know uh, you you start from the customer need, right? So yeah. you, you start with it uh, probably irrespective of any change. I think uh, even if you're going into the ecosystem model, uh, given that the value creation is happening close to the customer, uh, it helps to start with the with the customer as a starting point. And then like, you know, making that as a case to drive the change for the rest of the organization. Because uh, that would, uh, that that's probably uh, one of the areas where I would probably start uh, yeah, and and being part of an established organization has its own benefits as well. It's not like uh, only the digital natives have that uh, advantage, right? Uh, because uh, there are there are certain um, inherent structural advantages advantages that comes with a big established firm. I think uh, it's more about shifting the strategy and like you know what's the timeline that we give to make the shift. Uh, I think that that could be uh, instrumental or fundamental in how we drive this uh, change. Great, I think uh, that's really great input because 
I had some of these things in mind, but I wanted to know a third point of view. <laughs> Good to know because uh, of an industry which is already in, in this area, that's really interesting. And that's how we start with customers. And it was really interesting that initially uh, it was starting with the, you know, go online as we see everything is online. Mm. But that's not the case for everything actually. What we see is a buzz going around. But eventually what matters is what the customer wants. If the customer doesn't want online, no matter how hard you try, your model will never succeed. Right. So that is something which was very important. And yeah, it's more to drive the change with the mindset of the customer. Right. And the first line users, the retailers which are there in the markets, mm. how much they are hundreds of years. I mean, whatever the car industry started, it started with the retailers only, I think. Right. Yeah. I think it's a similar history, right? Even if you take uh, telecommunication, uh, Ericsson as a company, if you take telephony as a other end-to-end, it was done by one company, right? They also owned the handsets. They also owned the network. It was all vertically integrated. Uh, it was very recent that uh, we had to, like, you know, decouple some of the layers and make sure that we are uh, staying compet- competitive, right? Uh, again, there's also a shift in the business model. Because earlier, when you're vertically integrated, it's more about economies of scale. How much more can you produce at a lower cost? It comes down to transaction cost. But now, as we shift, uh, it's more about uh, value creation in an ecosystem of players. So, so then uh, the, the, the value proposition is also kind of shifting from the unit economics. Uh, so that's where I feel that uh, you know uh, all the technology acceleration that we see, unprecedented technology that Anna also mentioned, right? Uh, four years back, if you had made the comment that, oh, we are at a point where technology is exponentially increasing, it is still valid. And I'm pretty sure it will be valid four years from now. <laughs> right? So uh, that that's one aspect. And on the other comment, such as about the localization and centralization of initiatives, uh, I think uh, no company is part of the reality. Uh, we, we have the same uh, cycle as well. Uh, you know, every now and then, there will be a part of centralization, depending on where we want to put the focus as a company. And then that will be a wave of decentralization where the market areas or, or the customer units have a slightly larger role to play depending on you know the organization priorities. So I think no company is part of the reality and uh, we all go through that uh, wave or cycle in, in, in that business. Yeah, but if we have a good vision on that, I think that is what we, what we need to focus on. At least one department of the company need to focus on how to normalize the local initiatives and the central initiatives just to save the cost. I don't know if it is really possible or not. Well, I, I think that comes down to, you know, a, a one roadmap, right? Uh, to create the clarity of the, the different movements across the organization to really ensure that the, the roadmaps, the local roadmaps is not separated from, uh, from the central ones. And as Partha is into, you know, it, it is that pendulum, you know, you go centralized and then, oh, no, let's decentralize. And then it, it's about fa- finding that balance. And that balance might have been different five years ago than it needs to be today. So it's also around, you know, this ownership of, of the capabilities that we're working on so that there is this clear governance around, are you going to do something within this capability? Then you do need to connect to this team that is centrally working on it, where you then have a structure of it. Okay, you go ahead because this makes sense for you to actually move on this locally. And can we? Can you build it in a way that it scales for the rest of our local markets? Or actually, hold on, we're already working on this centrally. 
but it requires a lot of roadmap work in, in keeping all of these different entities uh, together. And uh, that's quite important when, when you are changing and transforming. And I think that's very interesting because there is something which I have faced in the, I mean, recently with many of the markets I work with. So they wanted to do some change and uh, they requested us that please put it in the you know, product roadmap strategy so that, you know, we can have this something. And the product team said, no, we are busy with something else. You know, the priorities are different at central level. And that's very understandable because, of course, we have a limited workforce and we just cannot do everything. And there are so many markets. So the market said, okay, we go forward with it because we have money budgeted to us. We can do that. But then after a lot of, you know, conversations from one product to another with the central leadership, we thought a technical solution is very important in this case. What I mean by this technical solution is develop the product locally, but consume all the data based on the APIs which are used at the central level. So that way we can make all these transformations scalable to other market. We have one source of truth, which is coming from the central. So this way, an end-to-end -end transformation or a digitalization or going online, whatever we are going to, whatever we are trying to achieve in our own industries is something achievable with a, uh, you know, minimum amount of cost. The local, which is specific, but use the central tech stack, which is already, which is, you know, open for everyone. So I think that technology or which technology you are using uh, is very important when you're going for regional initiatives, speaking about. Because in automotive, I have seen a lot, I mean, we cannot uh, just do everything at central. It's not possible. The, the regional market needs are way different. The customer behaves differently. Some of them will just, you know, rely on stock cars. Yeah. Some of the markets are just there for build to order. So some can wait for eight, nine months, maybe six months. And some, if you bring me the car, I'll buy it. On our, I'm going to the competitor. I'll take it from them if it's lying with them. So whatever the, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the transformation, the need for the markets is at a regional level, it's quite different and it may or may not always align with the central strategy. The, so that's really interesting what you brought forward. Sorry. You, you also said something interesting there, Sajal, around, um, you know, the, the goal is to go online versus the goal of actually creating a seamless, enjoyable customer experience. And the means to an end is going online. So I think that that is also... Um, a situation that you can easily get into as a as a company that you you go and kind of set your your flag in a place where you shouldn't have it so the goal isn't to go online right the goal is the customer experience and what you want to create through going online through the experience that you're creating online so it it becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy when you create visions that are just a means to an end so that is something that I would say that all companies should really be careful about. So is it a means to an end or is it actually the vision of what we want to create? Yeah. I think uh, building on one of the points with which Parpa also pointed out, it's the goal should not be going online. The goal should be what the customer wants. Yeah. That's that's where the buck ends. If the customer doesn't, I or either you are in a disruptive business model and you force the customer to do something like that. But again, for an established company, it's where your target audience might be very different. So if your target audience is a very uh, is an audience who would like to consult with someone, you just cannot force them to go online. You may lose your uh, 
customer base. So I think it's what the customer wants is very important. Just uh, what you, me, or any other in the leadership or anywhere thinks about it. That's that's very true. What you said. Yeah. And what the customer wants is also kind of interesting, right? If you uh, you asked, uh, what was it Tom Ford, right? And sorry, Tom Ford. He's a designer. Uh, Ford uh, automobiles. Uh, they wanted faster horses, right? Then he he built the car. So I think that that is uh, also the very interesting aspect of what do people want versus what are we able to deliver to you that you don't even know that you want yet. And that is also the innovation mindset that is also very important because otherwise you will always be one step behind the customer and their needs because that is changing at this uh, incredible pace right now. All these companies like Amazon setting the expectations for for home delivery within uh, five minutes or whatever it might be. And that is continuously changing and actually putting demands on all of us as uh, different companies meeting consumers today. So, of course, we need to meet those. But what is the next step? How can we create this delightful experience for the customer and and be more of a market leader in the, the area as well? Not just listening to what they know today. I think uh, we have like great examples, right? Uh, Volvo, for example, such a your company in the world you're representing. If you take like, they're not just building cars now. They're just solving a mobility problem. They have launched the subscription model care by Volvo. Then they also launched Volvo on demand where you can like, you know, rent out. So moving more towards as a service model rather than having all the, and also they have like smartly turned the CapEx into OPEX, right? Uh, yeah. So so that is uh, that is very interesting as a business model shift. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there again, the fundamental question that they've addressed is how can we deal, how can we maximize the utilization of cars uh, and also keep the cost low? Uh, and uh, and as a service, uh, they've managed to make that shift in a very nice way. And they've also like, you know, did a joint venture investments on uh, Polestar, built on the same platform. It's it's a fantastic example as a company on uh, how they are like, you know, uh, looking beyond what the customer wants and also like trying to meet those uh, expectations. Uh, uh, that, that is amazing. And IKEA, again, everybody talks about IKEA, uh, to be honest, right? The way I've standardized and made the furniture building experience uh, as something more enjoyable. Uh, honestly, I have not built any furniture until I moved to Sweden. <laughs> you know, you always uh, you know, get the finished product, uh, to be honest, right? But now uh, I come here, uh, first thing I did is like, oh, I'm in Sweden, I need to have a IKEA furniture. First thing I do is I buy the furniture, I try to build everything by myself. <laughs> it is, initially, it was a bit, uh, you know, difficult for me uh, to pick up something new, uh, maybe my age. <laughs> but uh, it was an enjoyable experience. Now, I don't want to, I, I feel like, you know, that's something I built from by myself and, you know, a lot of uh, personal feeling into that. Excellent. So this was not something I'd expected building a furniture, but that's an expectation when you do it once. It's, it's an amazing feeling to carry forward. Yeah, you you have that pride with you, right? When you built the furniture, it's like now it's really mine. <laughs> on one side you're building your own furniture, on the other side you are like you know, um, maybe renting out cars, like as a service uh, with Volvo. It's like a very complementary effect, but uh, you know something to uh, reflect on. Hmm. <laughs> I think it's something the, which when renting out your car in India, we have Zoom car. So where people just rent out the car they own. So that's maybe 
And another thing, so what the customer doesn't know, <laughs> but we can get into that area. But it's also about preparing for the competition, right? If they had not done that, someone else would have done it for sure. So then uh, there's a fundamental shift of making the ecosystem more effective rather than uh, working on a vertically integrated uh, supply chain. Yeah. And also, I mean, it, there's the sustainability aspects of changing the mindset of how you produce products as well. It's mm. like, do you sell light bulbs or do you sell lights? Mm. So when you have the subscription model, of course, you will have the sustainability aspect in the products that you create in a completely different way because you want the products that are out there to last as long as possible. Um, and so I think those, the, the drive and sustainability perspectives for the subscription models are quite interesting as well. I think the love for Ikea and Volvo cars is uh, superseding digital for this uh, webinar, Charlotte is. <laughs> you need to give more examples, I feel. <laughs> No, well, I'm just conscious now of the time because we have been getting some uh, some live questions in as well from the audience, which we'll wait until the end um, to answer. Um, but we'll move on now to, to Partha's question. Um, so how has technology enabled or helped accelerate transformation? Um, so if you'd like, Partha, if you'd like to explain your question a little bit and then we'll open it up to, to the group. Sure. I think Sajil touched upon this question on technology uh, as well uh, in his comments earlier. So it's kind of connected to the same theme. Uh, we all know that technology is a massive value creation, creating lever, right? And uh, we have unprecedented levels of acceleration of technology development. And then we have uh, consumer expectations, like if you're using a Siri or a Apple phone, whatever you experience as an end customer, you're expecting a similar experience within the enterprise, right? Uh, uh, but the enterprise, uh, you know, the, the the ecosystem within the organization, uh, of course, uh, we have a part of legacy and also we have the, the digital speed or the, the new systems of differentiation and innovation with the new technologies. Uh, so how have you approached, uh, uh, you know, these kind of questions? Like, uh, Sajjan, you talked about the technology choice as well, right? Yeah. So how have you approached, like, you know, whenever you think about a problem statement and when you're trying to uh, connect it to a technology, do you always, like, think about, uh, you know, uh, the the industrial IT or the digital IT, which is like the, the AI and, and the MLs of the world? Or, or what has been the focus? Yeah, I think the focus for me with respect to tech is most of the things which we work over here are in-house. Hmm. So it's not something we buy from a vendor. Right. And we might use a background like Salesforce or any other well-established tool and background. So whenever we talk about technology, we just talk about the APIs, how the, the regional team can connect to us. That's the prime focus, which I personally also push them to look into and to use the data from the central. So those are the two areas. If they are going for any regional developments, I look into uh, that is the main idea because, you know, everyone thinks their tech is the best. That's true. We cannot say. I mean, if I ask you, you know, which tech stack would you prefer, you would give a different answer. A person, uh, another market would give a different answer. Mm. So I would say just focus on two, three tech stack which are defined by the central, which are used by the central. Because in the end, it may not be the best one, but it will be the best for the overall company. Mm. So that is the one which... I personally work with that use these two areas to be at the central, the the, the the source of data which you have, as well as the integrations which you are having. 
rest of the things, I think if you have to go, have to go for a, uh, a regional development, go forward with it. Because not everything can be supported by Central if it has to be uh, done. If there is some integration with the financial partners in your country, right? then that is not something which we can integrate or a PSP platform which works only in your area. Mm. So, and which is not supported by the central. And that is not something which we can help. But how, whatever the data you collect, the data should come to the central team. So that kind of uh, integration should be suitable for you. And whatever, uh, the way you are communicating, the API-based communication, those two things should be what the central is using. So that's my advice to any regional developments if they are happening in the area. For, uh, yeah, um, I, I'm not sure if I answer the, the questions properly here now, now, but for me, it always starts with the business value. So what is business value? What is the problem that we're trying to solve? And, um, you know, depending on where you are in, in your organization, if you're sitting on a, a lot of legacy or you actually don't have a lot at all in terms of technology, there are so many different choices uh, to make. But it all starts with the business value. How is this connected to the strategy? And how do we simplify the, the way that we work with technology today? So often you can sit and this has happened to me in, in many of the different organizations that I've been in. There's been very scattered uh, technical landscape. So how do we think about the choice of technology in terms of, of course, the coupling and all of these aspects, but also how do we solve problems easy? Uh, so like a round of golf, you actually want as few hits on the ball as possible before you, you hit the hit the hole. So so that's the way to that we also try to think about uh, solving the problems and how to approach the technology. What is the business game? What do we look like today and how do we actually approach technology in, in a sense where it's enabling business value and not bringing in tech for tech itself and uh, being the, the first innovator in the market? using it when it really has a benefit uh, for your company. Okay, because uh, I agree with you, Anna, because business alignment is something uh, which is super important and that drives the technology strategy. So uh, uh, for, for me, the reason why I asked this question was, uh, uh, you know, we, we started off as a four, five or six member team uh, six years back, uh, where uh, in Ericsson was predominantly uh, focused on the traditional, the industrial IT, the core systems. Uh, so when we came in, we came in with like, you know, with a big vision, right? Uh, but we had a start small, uh, scale fast kind of an approach. So uh, there's always this question about, uh, should we like, you know, try to do more long term, uh, invest more on the core systems, or should we like leverage the exponential technologies that we have, such as AI, ML, blockchain? Because these kind of decouples your, uh, keeps the core system clean and also like, you know, keeps your technology stock very neat. So, uh, so I was throwing this question more from that background, but I fully agree that the business alignment I think is uh, super important. And that's uh, suggest to your point. I think uh, what technology choice, the fit for purpose, uh, probably that's also an important uh, aspect to be uh, considered. Yeah, and now it will be very interesting to see uh, what AI and the the progress that we're seeing today in the market will actually mean for the technology stacks we're currently sitting on. Right. So, what are scenarios? Right. So we, we, the way we also thought about our organization when we started this was uh, we wanted a team that focuses on new themes and ideas. How can we make it relevant and bring it into Ericsson, uh, impacting multiple business functions? And then we had a team that shapes and transforms those ideas. 
uh, you know, works in the business case methodology. How should we like, you know, deliver this value to the stakeholders within internal stakeholders? Uh, and then we had the platforms, which works on sustaining the value, right? So that was a very, uh, it's not a very traditional setup. It's a more modern setup, uh, more like an internal company as well sometimes, right? Uh, that, that really helped us uh, drive uh, from zero to, let's say, 100 or 50 or 60, right? Now for the next leg of the journey, now we are trying to do a lot of productification, industrialization, and uh, also democratization, as I mentioned. Uh, you know, we cannot do all by ourselves, so we need to democratize the technology to some extent. So then the the benefit gets uh, spread out and more users start using the technology. So Yeah, but uh, when you all started this team, it's really interesting for me to know, like when you started this whole setup with a small number of people, uh, what part of the journey of the transformation journey were you looking into using the AI area? So we, uh, I'm very curious about the know <laughs> that how how does it that like I know how AI helps in automotive, right? of course, the armas and everything, but how it actually helps in running the processes of the company is something I'm always curious to know. Uh, I can give you many examples, Sajal, but uh, a few things that we tried to do was uh, we looked at uh, some of the business questions. Like, how can we change the way in which we order uh, uh, or we process the customer orders, as an example, right? Okay. Uh, that was one thing we tried to look at. Uh, of course, uh, your transactions are lying in your code ERP systems, but there is a way in which it is done. If you take uh, any company, we are not spared of the number of Excel sheets that floats around us, right? So uh, we, we started looking into those areas where there's a lot of transactions. And uh, we try to uh, also like you know ask some some very important questions. If you consider the whole company as a decision-making engine, what kind of decisions can be automated or can be predicted or can be leverage AI to answer those questions, right? So that kind of completely shifted the mindset uh, from looking into uh, you know can we do something with AI or ML into uh, how do we take decisions in the organization, right? So so. You know, there, there's a lot. I think we can definitely spend an hour talking on the topic. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, uh, but, but that's probably how we started, Sajjal. We started looking into, uh, you know, very specific use cases, and uh, we started thinking big. We we didn't go with the traditional structural, uh, functional silos within the company. Rather, we thought end to end. When you talk about a customer need, how does it impact end to end? What are the areas where you like if you walk into a manufacturing plant, the first thing you notice is where why, where does the inventory lie? Then you know that there is a inefficiency in some part of the process, right? So we did something similar, but on the business process side. If I have to uh, uh, give you some analogy, and yeah, I mean that's really interesting. No. Yeah. Nice. Going to ask a few questions from the audience now as well. Um, so we've got this question, and uh, that's come from Nicola. And how do you? empower the front line for successful transformation um so is there anybody that wants to start us off with that question so uh, yeah i can uh, i can jump in here i i think it, it comes down to to what we talked about before as well with the the clear vision but also having the the goals and my contribution to the transformation clear for all co-workers that they understand what is the impact that I have in the transformation and my contribution to the everyday work that I have, where you really kind of try to connect the strategic perspective from the transformation all down to the, the operational level. So also celebrating 
the small victories that you have every day in the, the teams and, and the milestones that you are achieving within the transformation as well. I think that that really gives the power to to the people in the organization that they're feeling that they are contributing to this. Uh, if, uh, you know, I can uh, add a few, uh, you know, because when we talk about transformation, the first thing that strikes me is, uh, you know, for any kind of change, you need actions from a large number of people. Right. Uh, the, the problem usually is not like you know embracing the vision or the purpose or the uh, or the need, but uh, you know feeling uh, uh, like you're losing energy because uh, you have your obstacle. The first side of obstacle, you feel that my God, this is not going to work. Right. <laughs> uh, it it also impacts the middle management or or any first line leaders or or the front line leaders as well. Right. So uh, sometimes it is people, usually in people's head, uh, that can be like talked and like, you know coached, and we could like you know uh, clarify what uh, the challenges are and how can we like help ready, remove the uh, roadblocks. Uh, but sometimes it is also like you know uh, uh, very structured, like how the job rules are uh, optimized, what kind of performance appraisal process do we have? Uh, you know there are some structural limitations, right? Uh, you know we need to allow those obstacles. Uh, you know that blocks the vision sometimes, and then see uh, how we can uh, you know, do some experiments to uh, uh, find a good way to and you know, deal with those uh, contexts. Because this is not a straightforward one is to one. Like you know the input, and then you know what exactly you need to do. Sometimes there are more than one right answer. So we need to allow those experiments to evolve and emerge uh, before we take a decision. Uh, then the second aspect is more on the culture. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, we hear this a lot, like culture strategy for breakfast. Uh, you know, we, we hear that a lot. But uh, uh, one of the important aspects is that, uh, you know, as leaders, I think we need to show a very conscious attempt uh, to the people on how some specific behaviors and attitudes have helped improve performance. Because it takes time to change. And for that to happen, we need to allow this, uh, you know, empowerment uh, to the, to the, uh, to the frontline organizations as well. And that sometimes actually requires uh, a lot of new training for for the leadership as well to change behaviors, mm -hmm. to change attitudes uh, in the transformation as well. I think that that's also a, an important aspect. Yeah, I think might entail a, a new type of leadership to it. Yeah, I mean, how the leadership communicates to the frontline worker, uh, front frontline uh, people that you know this is your contribution and this is how it is affecting the bigger company. This is how your success will be measured against the vision which we have in the greater company. So if everyone is involved in the process of the transformation of the vision, I think they will be empowered and uh, you know, to go forward with their uh, contributions. Nice. Okay, perfect. And we've had another um, another question in um, from the audience as well. So I'll run through this one before we go through the last question as well. Um, so yeah, this is um, so do you have any lessons in your transformational journey and how did you overcome the challenges? I think, uh, you know, uh, usually these journeys are quite long and complex, right? Uh, so one of the things, uh, uh, you know, maybe one of the challenges or the failures that uh, we usually face uh, in any big transformation program is, uh, you know, given the time it takes, if you fail to create a short-term wins and if you fail to like celebrate it, along with the people driving the change, uh, it becomes a big uh, challenge to sustain uh, and make the change stick. Uh, that is probably like, you know, uh, one of the things. I know we also spoke about the vision and the roadmap and the strategy. Uh, you can just take the uh, converse of what we said. If you don't have uh, a very clear plan aligned, 
uh, full leadership aligned uh, on the technology agenda and the business agenda uh, and having a good governance, uh, I think agile governance, uh, those could be like, you know, some of the uh, either key success factors or, or some of the challenges uh, by not having those things in place. The mandatory fundamentals, if I may say so. Exactly. Uh, I agree to that, uh, especially with having this uh, buy-in from management and, and really ensuring that that everyone is driving the, the transformational change. I think there is always, um, especially in big businesses today, the big enterprises around um, the upskilling aspects. When you step into a new organization, do you have the um, do you have the competence within the organization to take on the the new challenges that they face with uh, perhaps a new business model, etc.? So I think uh, overcoming those challenges is really to invest in the people that you have in your organization to ensure that you you are driving the digital literacy with your business people and that you are driving the business literacy with your digital people, so that you really unify the organization as well. Yeah, I think yeah, moving on these are leads, very important that while you are going in that journey, uh, you are very vocal and demonstrative about it in some of the sessions where your whole department is there, where everyone is informed of the contribution of your own department. So that a lot of rework is, you know, eliminated, a lot of cost is saved. So these are areas where I have seen a lot of people wasting time and money and which could have been saved if there was a culture of communication and appraisal uh, across the whole organization. Yeah. No, definitely. We will move on now um, just to the uh, the last question uh, that we had. It was actually submitted by Matilda, but unfortunately she wasn't able to make it today. Uh, but she wanted to know, um, when do you, when do you know that you're living the vision and how do you measure your results? Um, so yeah, if Partha, if you'd like to start us off with this last question, uh, you know, uh, there's only one one thing I can say uh, the the day when uh, you know things become the way we do things here, uh, yeah, uh, then we say that the changes really happen. Otherwise, at the first sight of uh, an obstacle or any uh, any other project priorities or escalations, you kind of drop the culture and you go back and do start doing the same thing, the old habits, right? Uh, so I think that is super important, the culture uh, and and how we do things around and making sure that it sticks. Probably that's one of the key things uh, I would say uh, that we know that we are living the vision. Yeah, I, I think one of the the aspect is also the the amount of failure that you dare to do in a in an organization. Like that is really a success factor because every failure is a learning. So so how do you really um, challenge your teams in in uh, failing fast. But I think it's uh, also into the topic that we talked about before. I think uh, Sajal, you talked about the OKRs. So really stepping into starting to to look at what is it that we want to change in our transformation and looking at, at it from an outcome-driven perspective. And this is something that you should do before your transformation, setting those targets, setting those goals. How do we measure that we're successful in our transformation? It shouldn't be an after construct where you try to create goals to make it look like you're successful. It's important that that is part of kind of the vision statement. And, and this is how we know that we have reached a certain point. Of course, the, the, we then go into a continuous change and iterations after that. But I think that it's so important that you set those goals in the beginning of your transformation to really understand what are you striving at for. Sorry. 
Yeah, and setting those goals in an incremental manner is also important. It's not that you take the goals of 20 years after today. No. Set it for an incremental goal vision. The OKRs which we are defining 5 years, 10 years, what you want to achieve. So that you can actually track the result which you are achieving with respect to the actions you have mentioned in the OKRs. So I think the a planning right from the top, right from the beginning on an incremental basis is very important so that we can change the course of action as and when after a few years, if we see, yeah, we dare to fail, like you mentioned, but then, yeah, we need to improve after those two, two or three years uh, during the transformation journey. So, yeah, that's something which I had in mind on this. Nice. Well, I suppose that's all the questions that we had to uh, had to go through today. Um, and so... If everybody's happy with that, I'll go ahead and stop the recording there. I just want to say thank you again to everybody uh, for joining us today and thank you to everybody who's still listening.